You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, and I'm your host Greg Ehill, the Culture Change Agent. You already know on this show we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower and inspire our current and future generation of leaders. Man, that never gets old. It's been 100 plus episodes and counting, man, and it never gets old, man. So today, I'm excited to have my brother on the line, man. I was introduced for him by a guy on the Twitter. He goes by Renewable Rishi, man. What's Rishi's real name, man? <laughs> Rishi Simha. Rishi Simha. Shout out to the brother, man. Uh, I'm <laughs> Funny story, man. Like He's been supporting the podcast for a couple years. I don't know if he really listens to it or he just follows me on Twitter and just likes the headlines, but he always retweets stuff, man, comments, and he said, yo, you need to check out my boy Taylor, man. He's doing something great in Alabama. And I was like, Alabama? My brother named Taylor in Alabama? All right, cool, cool. And he followed up and reached out. <laughs> he connected us, man. So shout out to Rishi, man, for the connect, man. If you're listening now, man, shout out to you, man. I can't even do his bio justice, so I'm not even going to jump into it, man. I'm just going to introduce you, man. So without further ado, I would like to introduce to the Minority Trailblazer audience, Taylor Culliver, to the Minority Trailblazer podcast, man. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you. Uh, I, I've never been introduced quite like that before, so hopefully I can just <laughs> I can just play this uh, every time I enter a room uh, and everybody will get super excited. Uh, <laughs> and it's so funny about Rishi. I thought, I thought you guys had met before. I thought you had connected. And I thought he knew you personally, but it was so funny connecting, connecting with you the first time and realizing that that wasn't, that wasn't exactly the case. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's crazy how that works out the internet and building a community and all that good stuff. It's just, I just love the people that engage with content because I mean, it's crazy. You have podcasts out there and shows with thousands of engagement, listens, downloads, but nobody will send a message. I'm like, what is going on? So luckily over the years, I have an engaged audience, man. They show love, they send messages, and they make connections, man. So that's for anybody out there, man. You support something, make connections. They don't always got to be financial. It don't always got to be anything of that nature, man. After this podcast, you see what this brother's about, see what he's building. Even if you can't buy a brother box, you support, call a business, call a friend that has a business that can buy 10 to 20 of them, right? Because I, I think sometimes we limit what we can do when things we can support. So I thank you for Arishi for modeling that man for modeling that. So uh, what I what we we typically do we have every single guest that come on the show man they give us a quote or a, a model they live by and a story about how they apply that quote or model to their everyday life man. So Taylor man give us a story man or a model and, and tell us how you apply it. 
Oh, that's a lot of pressure. Um, <laughs> but it's funny because I, I do have one. It's uh, stay the course. Um, and, and that's what I kind of use to model my life around, my relationships around, my work, uh, everything I do. It's all about just staying focused, um, engaged. Like some things are going to get really tough. Uh, you'll lose some battles, you'll win some battles, uh, but there's a long, long road ahead and just staying the course and figuring out the best path forward. I think that's the best way that that I've structured my life. Um, and there are so many stories that I could tell uh, that pertain to that. But I think in, in general, just using that as a mantra uh, to lead life through, I think is is the best way that I, I could I could answer that question. Yeah, I love that. And uh, but I ain't gonna let you off the hook, man. I need a story, though. I need a, I need a story, man. Within the last couple months, man, because that's big. State of course, you can apply that to anything in the marriage and uh, in, in anything in the business and uh, in parenting and being a child. Like, exactly. so what's the last time that you've you've been challenged? You think the audience get something from that you had to remember? Yo, I, I this is my motto. I live by state of course. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I'd say you know even with Brother Box. Um, I think we, when we started, uh, I, it was just myself um, raising money for these boxes and the kids for the kids in my hometown. And I know we'll get to that story a little bit later, but I came off of that thinking that we were going to be able to raise money for a thousand boxes in the in the first year. Uh, and it turns out uh, we've gotten to five hundred, and we're coming up on the first year anniversary. And so mm -hmm. you kind of have to like switch your mindset a little bit. Uh, but not get too down on yourself about not hitting that first initial goal because uh, the goals can always change, right? You can always adjust um, and find ways forward. And so just being excited about the progress that we are making with Brotherbox um, and realizing that year two is going to be uh, a lot bigger and better and hopefully we get to a thousand boxes in year two. I think that um, that definitely resonates with me right now and something I've been thinking about a lot. Yeah, man, I think that's, that's really critical. And, I, and for all entrepreneurs out there, I think you said something that you probably didn't even hear, right? So originally the goal was a thousand and it may not look like he's gonna reach that a thousand in the first year, but some people would do it like this. Cause there's a lot of camp up. There's a, there's a big camp of people that when they don't reach their number, they're crying, they whining, they're thinking, man, I should give up or this ain't it, or I need to change strategy and all this other stuff. But then they didn't realize when they first started the business, they, they, started, they started what they were doing to help people. But what about the 500 people they did serve? Like, what about those lives that did get changed by receiving that brother box, et cetera? So I'm glad that you were able to rescope and say, of course, we want to hit our goals. End of the day, we want to continue to serve more people. But there's some young brothers out there that got your brother box that lives may have been changed forever. There's some people that saw you start that business that lives could have been changed forever. So let's not let the data and the numbers be the sole driver of it. Because end of the day, there's a reason why you started brother box, which goes and God, it's a significant, oh, I'm in the pocket now. That's a significant segue to what is Brother Box, man. Before we get into your story, man, let us know the audience right now that's tuning in and saying, okay, I never heard of Taylor Cullivan, man. I'm talking about Brother Box and doing all this stuff. What is a Brother Box? How to get started? Go us, go us, take us down that road, man. Yeah, so uh, Brother Box, uh, our mission is to give black middle and high school boys the advice and encouragement they need to stay focused, um, care for themselves, lift others, up, lift others up, and I think the most importantly, just like be themselves. Um, and this this dates back really to my time growing up um, and coming through school and and feeling all of the pressures from parents and from teachers and and more importantly your friends. And within that middle and high school 
you know, age bracket, you're really trying to figure out who you are as a person. Um, and it's really, you start having your own opinions, you start kind of like trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. Um, and you have so many influences around you that I feel like the hardest thing to do in those moments is to really come back to the center and just be yourself and recognize that uh, who you are as a person um, is enough. Uh, and so what we're trying to do with Brother Box in, in the form of care packages right now is we just we put these boxes together, you know, they have book, um, tie, socks, snacks, hygiene products, headphones, uh, a handwritten note, just lots of stuff that um, you would find in, in, in a care package. And we, we've given out more than 500 of these boxes to black boys across the country uh, to date. We've raised more than $15,000 from all of our amazing donors. Um, and, our, and our goal really is to create this ecosystem where black boys can see themselves and see a path forward for them uh, that's positive, that's bright. And it's not going to look the same across across every boy, but all of them have a future. All of them have potential. And we just want to tap into that as much as possible. Um, and so these boxes have been kind of the first the first phase of, of really growing that ecosystem out. Uh, and we've done some great work and, and seen the impact of, of, of these boxes with, with all of the kids that have received them. Mm, I got a lot of questions, man. But the first thing I want to ask is when you said be themselves, right? Asking young boys to be themselves. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we gloss over, okay, we hear that. It sounds good. But for your definition, what does that really mean though? What's the ethos behind asking young people to be themselves? Yeah, I think, you know, when I think back to all of the times in when I was growing up, when I felt the most silly or ridiculous um, or most embarrassed were times when I actually felt like I was trying to be someone else or someone who I, who I wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that you know, trying to, to imitate a friend uh, who had a different like style of language than I did or trying to like do things that were out of character uh, because everyone else was doing them or uh, it looks cool to be doing those things in the moment. And I think when I talk about being yourself, it's really about like bring, being proud of who you are, um, being proud of the things that you like and the interests that you have and the ways that you express those um, and really owning it and not, not being afraid uh, to be different um, and, to, and to show people who you really are. I think a lot of times, especially as black boys and black men, we have this tendency to kind of cover up those things that make us interesting because we're trying to fit in with the crowd or society has told us that, you know, we have to act a certain way or be a certain way to, to get by, to succeed uh, or, or to be socially acceptable. Uh, and what I want to encourage all, all boys and especially black boys and, and girls um, to do is really think about what are those things that make you unique? What are those things that make you special? Uh, and don't shy away from them, like lean into them. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. oftentimes we get, we actually get put in a box um, and people try to put these borders around us and tell us the way that we're supposed to act and the way that we're supposed to be. Uh, and it can get so tricky to navigate that when you have so many of those boxes coming from different directions. Uh, and so it's all about just really like tapping into what makes you unique or what makes you special uh, and leaning into that as much as possible. No one who... No one who has ever been remembered for anything did it because they were being the same as everybody else, you know? Um, and so that's really the message that we're trying to send. Man, you know what's scary, man? <laughs> what's it, up? Is that I love this new age of entrepreneurship, the new age of, of men. And not, not all men are taking this call, but certain men are taking the call to, uh, to help our, specifically our young black men 
um, allow them to be themselves. But I find it interesting, man, that if you look back when we were growing up, I'm I'm 29 now, but uh, and I think I believe you're a little bit younger than me. Yeah, I'm 26. Uh, we're seeing a struggle now because a lot of people in our age, they they didn't have this op- the same opportunity to be themselves, right? Right. So exactly. now you become an adult. You some a lot of people get married. You make career decisions. You have children, and a lot of them are fighting. And a lot of adults are. And I fought too for 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 a little while. But then at 22, I said, "Yo, I know who I am. I'm a G Hill. Um, I used to be formerly known as G Hill in the flesh. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like I made. I had principles. I had stuff to stand by. But then when you when we were growing up, our parents were telling us go to college, do this, do that. All right, this this is how you act professional. And we realized a lot of they, the ways that they said act professional was not what we saw for black people. It was like we, they, the, another color was the standard of professional and how you should act and all this other stuff. So now we're as adult and now people saying, be yourself. And it's like, yo, uh, you told my whole life I've been pushed to assimilate. I've been pushed yeah. to be in this box. So how do you think, and this is a wide argument because there's a lot of views and opinions on this, but since mm-hmm. we're on here now, what do you think is the, how do we solve that conflict, man, now that we're at an age where a lot of us did not grow up where we could intentionally be ourselves. That wasn't really pushed or promoted. So now we're, we're stuck. We are making grown man decisions and now we have to find out our own identity and, and especially in our blackness. Yeah, no, that's, it's extremely tough. And I think, you know, when I think about raising kids, when that time comes for me, uh, it's like, what kind of conversations do I want to be having with my kids about the ways that they should conduct themselves, whether it's in the classroom or in life in general. And, I think, you know, if you think back to the ways that we were raised, uh, I think a lot of it was about assimilation and about mm-hmm. not necessarily not being yourself and owning that, but there, there's this assimilation to whiteness, uh, honestly. And because you see the people who are successful and most mm-hmm. of them are white uh, and most of them are men. Uh, and so it's like, what does success look like? Well, that's what it looked like when we were growing up. But mm-hmm. I think you know, now for, for the kids who are growing up, um, I think, and hopefully we continue down this trend or this path, but we're going to like start seeing what success looks like in a number of different ways. Um, and the, the playing field has been not necessarily leveled, but democratized in a sense to where we're saying black creators, Mm -hmm. um, you know, black entrepreneurs, like in a way that I think when you and I were growing up, I, I don't really remember that being a part of the ethos, you know? And so yeah. I think for, when I think about myself, um, I, I think about the opportunities that exist to tell those stories um, and tell those stories of, of black success and what that looks like and have it, have it be a number of options for the black boys that are growing up. And, you know, eventually my kids, when they start growing up, just being able to see what that looks like across the spectrum. And I think for black men uh, right now, we are in kind of this weird, it's this weird phase, right? Like, I don't think I'm necessarily, I'd say, you know, above my age a little bit, but people who are coming into their own and are having maybe some identity crises, you know, because, we're trying to figure out what all of this means now. I think it's just like generational push. And I think the thing that we can all get on board with is representing um, and showing black representation in a number of facets and in a number of ways. And there's no one right way to be a black man. Um, And I think if we can all remember that and just strive to kind of like internalize that and say, I'm unique, I'm my own person. 
Um, everyone else out there, you know, they get to be their own people. Why not me? Uh, then I think we'll, we'll continue to, to see the expressions, uh, of blackness, um, more accepted, uh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, I have a couple more direct questions on, um, brother box, but I, I got a, a couple things I, I wanted to uh, shift, uh, shift slightly, man. So when I'm listening, it's crazy because I always try to to be unflinchingly honest and, and 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 transparent and as authentic as possible on on this show. And it's crazy. Right before this podcast, I had like an hour and a half long uh, interview. Shout out to ATX Web Designs, my boy D Gray's out there in Texas. But before that, I was listening to uh, the Bronze Bomber, Deontay Wilder, man, um, the baddest man on the planet, heavyweight champion of the world, WBC heavyweight champion of the world, man. He's from Alabama, right? So he has, he's a big 6'7", dark-skinned brother, uh, got the braids, a knockout artist, man, crazy Alabama slur. And when you think of Alabama, you think of black folk in Alabama, you think of like a, a big, bold, like, dude. And then we on this podcast, man, and Taylor, man, is it sounds savvy. Sound, and and it's, it, like I said, that's why I love blackness. Blackness is is so much more comprehensive and that's what we got to work with one another showcase because i sound more alabama than, than you that sound right like i'm listening you sound like a like you sitting in some new york manhattan office man uh just came off the the, the 11th just get out the cab and stuff like that but you born and bred in alabama man so let's take a step back man show tell the audience before uh brother box who you are you're kind of upbringing and raise up so we can kind of share your complete picture, man, because that's what I love about this show. We showcase the companies of brothers and sisters and what they're doing, but we also show the uniqueness of black culture and who they are as individuals, because a lot of people, even the people, and, and this is no disrespect, people just listening to us and not people of color, but society at large, they see, oh, uh, a black brother starting a business, they all act the same, they all think the same, they all move the same, and that's is incorrect. So I, I definitely just want to hear a little bit about your upbringing, man. What makes you tick and who you are? Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, there are smart, articulate people in Alabama. <laughs> for sure. So I don't want anybody to be fooled. Um, I know Alabama gets a, a bad rap sometimes, but I grew up in a, a great town uh, called Bay Manette. Uh, so I was originally born in Birmingham. Uh, and then I, I was in Birmingham till around the age of three, I think. And then we moved to, to Southern Alabama. And just to give you a little bit of background, my dad, basically his whole career uh, has been through the Department of Corrections uh, in Alabama. And so he started as an officer um, and kind of like worked up the ranks. And so our first move down to Bay Minette, uh, which is probably about an hour outside of Mobile, um, you know, we've always moved because of his his work and, and, and the stuff that he was doing. And so I actually grew up in Bay Minette uh, and so that's kind of where I say like home, like that's my hometown. Uh, I love the place and the, the original brother boxes were actually destined for, uh, for kids back in, back in Bay Manette. And so just shout out to, to all of the people who have, you know, cared and supported mm -hmm. for me. Um, I don't get to go back as often, uh, these days, but, uh, I really do. Um, it was a great place to call home uh, and a great place to grow up. And so. Uh, you know, I, I, I grew up there. Uh, it's a very small town, about 8,000 people. And so all of the kids basically grow up together. Uh, we go through from K through 12, more or less uh, together, and we all get to know each other. And it's just like a very community oriented community. Feel. Is it diverse? to be uh i'd say about like 60 percent white 40 percent black something like that um 
And so I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily call it diverse. Uh, you know, I, I remember going to college um, and I feel like that's probably where I've met the first Jewish person in my life. Um, not the first Asian person, but we didn't have a whole lot of Asian people uh, in Baymanet either. And so when I went to Penn, um, University of Pennsylvania, after I graduated high school, um, that was just like an eye-opening experience to me. Uh, and so going from Baymanet uh, to Philadelphia, um, which is obviously, you know, I went from being a big fish in a small pond to a very <laughs> yeah. small fish in a huge <laughs> pond. Um, and my, my freshman roommates uh, will actually tell you that my, my Southern draw and my Southern slang uh, was very evident when I, <laughs> when I showed up to college for the first <laughs> time. Uh, and I think over the years, it's just kind of like drifted away. So I definitely have sounded more Southern in the past. And sometimes when I go home, that does come out a lot more. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I was in, I was in high school. Um, you know, I, I was on the basketball team. I was the, the class president. I was, you know, I was doing all these really amazing, cool things and just like soaking up um, the high school experience and then decided to go to, to college at Penn. Um, had a great four years there and actually got really involved with uh, the school newspaper, uh, the, the Daily Pennsylvanian, um, and ended up uh, running that show uh, between my junior and senior year uh, and, and graduated and then spent some time working on uh, another one of my own projects uh, before working at Forbes, uh, Forbes Media, uh, basically helping to build out the, the under 30 franchise. And so when you hear all those people talking about being on the 30 under 30 list and going to the under 30 summit, um, that's the kind of stuff that I worked on. Uh, and now I'm a, a full-time digital marketing strategist at, at Polyphonic uh, and Co. And so, you know, I've had so many various experiences that, that have been so great, but it all really points back to um, my parents uh, raising my brother and I in a way that um, I really do give them so much credit, uh, my mom and my dad, uh, for, for just raising us in a way that uh, we could be appreciative of all of the opportunities that we've gotten thus far um, and doing all that we can to, to sew that back into uh, the community and, and whatever, whatever ways that we can. Yeah, man, that's a that's, that's a phenomenal story. So, a couple quick things. Uh, yep. One, did both your parents go to college? Yeah, so they both went to the University of Southern Mississippi. My dad is a huge uh, Golden Eagles fan. He goes to they have a little tailgating group where they my mom and him go back uh, pretty frequently every fall for the football games. Uh, so, yeah, I grew up in a a married two parent you know household. Both of them went to college. Um, and, you know, the expectation was that we were going to college, uh, too, for sure. Yeah, man. And, and how, how did you end up at University of Pennsylvania, man? Like, of all places, is that <laughs> one, was that your target school? Did, who pushed you towards that lane, man? Yeah, it's so funny. In ninth grade, actually, we did this project. And this is what I say, like, it all... It's so funny when, you, as you're growing up, you can start to, like, pinpoint things and you can go back to the source and kind of it all comes together in hindsight is 2020, you know, but in ninth grade, we were doing this project in this computer class. Miss um, Wiggins uh, actually was, was the teacher and she, the, the goal of the project was to really figure out what you wanted to be when you grew up and the pathway to get there. And I remember taking this, I guess it was like a career aptitude test. Uh, that told me that I should be a venture capitalist. Wow. Uh, what, what, hey, pause. <laughs> what, what, what test? I mean, I'm only three years old, you, bro. No. What they said you should be a venture capitalist, bro? Yes, I have no idea bro. what test it was. I can't even remember. No, my uh, test told me I should join the <laughs> army. And I'm like, bro, the army? 
what they what? <laughs> and I'm sure you were like, eh, I don't, I don't know about yeah, this. <laughs> no, this is better army. I won't build for that. That's yeah, a venture so, capitalist. That would you go to a private school? What kind of school in Alabama? No, that it, kind was, of thing? it was a public school. What? I don't know. I feel like it was a very generic <laughs> test, uh, but they had a lot of options. And I, I just remember my the core of my you know my results being centered around business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew you know I knew back then when it came to the different subjects that I was interested in. I was very good at math and very interested in math. Really didn't like science. Uh, wasn't that into history. Uh, English was fine, but like I couldn't really consider myself a career in English. And so I said, you know, business really is in everything. Um, The capitalistic uh, culture of America has created, you know, there's a business for everything. And so if I was going to um, put myself in the best position to be successful, I was going to be, you know, I was going to go get a degree in business in some form or fashion. And so that led to trying to find the best business schools in the country, stumbled upon Wharton. Um, and I remember my parents actually, my junior year of high school, my parents took some time off and we actually did a, a road trip up the East Coast to just like visit a number of schools. Um, and keep in mind, like, I feel like Michelle Obama actually talks about this in her book, Becoming, a lot, but I didn't, I didn't have a very good sense of like how hard it was to get into some of these schools. Um, and so that's kind of like the blessing of growing up in this small town um, and not having like that's the same kind of pressures that people who grow up in like a really great school in New York, for example, like you're very exposed to much more of this. I wasn't exposed. And so uh, it gave me that freedom to dream and do whatever the hell I wanted. Uh, and so I was like, I'm going to apply to Harvard. I'm going to apply to Penn. I applied to UVA and a few other schools, uh, but Penn was really one. It was probably up there on the list. It was, you know, between Penn and um, and the University of North Carolina. Uh, my mom would have definitely preferred if I had stayed closer to home. I think, um, but yeah, I mean that that's really how it happened. And I applied and ended up getting in. It wasn't until I got there that I realized um, how big of a deal, how hard people had to work. Um, to even have the opportunity to go to somewhere like Penn. And so it really helped to, to shine a, a light and a perspective on, on what that was like. Um, and yeah, I'm just super, super grateful. Uh, it was an amazing experience. I did have, I'll say I had a hard time adjusting between freshman and sophomore year. It really wasn't until junior year that I felt like I was really like stable within myself, like knew what I wanted and was going to go after it. Um, and that took some time. And so you know, I'd say for anybody out there who may be pursuing college or, you know, out of college and tr- still trying to, to figure that out, just again, like stay the course. It, it does take time. Um, and you know what they say about about business? Like if you don't want to be in the business for 10 years, like if you're starting it, uh, if you're starting a company or whatever, and if you're not thinking about being in it for 10 years, like <clears throat> that's really the way you have to think about it. Because the first the first three really are just figuring out what the hell you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um the next three are, are really trying to like, okay, now I know what I'm doing, but we have to scale this in a way that makes sense. Uh, and so it takes, you know, life takes time. Uh, and I'm just trying to, you have to remind yourself sometimes, like, it's okay, don't rush. Like, you don't have to be the best at everything right now. You don't have to be on the same level as all of your peers. Um, and it can get hard to, to kind of, to, to remind yourself of that. But that, that's some advice that I would give people who are listening. Uh, just, you know, be be comfortable within yourself and push yourself at the pace that you know creates the best chance of success for you. Man, that's that's great advice. Uh, I think everybody got to realize you're playing your own game. 
yes because exactly if i if you play mario kart all the time and i jump on the sticks and try to play you a mario kart you're gonna beat me every time I'm playing your game. Like, I'm coming over to your house, playing your game. You're going to dog me in Mario Kart. You're going to pick the fastest car. You're going to have the controller that work all the way. You're going to give me the bump controller because you know the thing. <laughs> like, it's going to work. But if I, if you come over my house and I'm playing Donkey Kong and I've been playing Donkey Kong, boom. But the problem is a lot of us, we try to play everybody else's game and then realize why we're not winning, man. Hey, we got to run our own waste, man. I, I, I love that about your story. But I got to ask you a real question, though, man. So yep. you're at, you at UPenn coming from Am I saying the right Minette? Bay Minette? Bay Minette. Bay Minette. Bay Minette, Alabama, man. Mm -hmm. So how how is it? Because I ain't gonna lie, man. I see a lot of brothers, uh, and I'll be real, a lot of black brothers, man. Uh, they 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 go to these schools, and man, they just because I, I couldn't imagine because I never I never went to those schools, right? Mm -hmm. But they come out and they they come out smart and other stuff, but they come more detached. From I believe sometimes from the black community a little bit, man. Um, I just see a lot of brothers that come in talking, oh yeah, boom, boom, boom. And not even their language, just the way they move. And it, it's it's kind of like they I see them online, I see them moving. They're doing everything they can to assimilate, man. So how hard was it, specifically when you're younger, to be like, be be of course open and willing to to work with people, be open to experiences, grow, but to 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 be comfortable in the blackness, man, because I know. It was great, but it was maybe some unique challenges. But I, I definitely want you to speak on that, man. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, I'll just be honest with you. I, um, I probably haven't had the same, mm -hmm. the, the same kind of issues with that because I'm actually coming from it from the other side where I was never, as I went through high school, you know, I had white friends, I had black friends. Uh, I got to college and the black community wasn't really something that I ever sought out, to be honest with you. Um, and I think that's the difference in my story compared to, to others that I, I was going to school and I was going to be friends and, and, and be a part of whatever communities made the most sense to me. And, and the black community is not something that I, I personally and specifically sought out. Uh, but it found me, which is interesting. Um, I was a part of this senior, the senior society called Onyx. Um, and it wasn't until I was inducted into that in my junior year that I really felt <clears throat> more a part of the black community at Penn. Uh, and so I'd actually say like I moved closer um, and I feel closer to, to blackness now because of what that group was able to, to provide for me. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think I, I think at a place like Penn, having that support system and having uh, a place where black people feel comfortable um, and having groups where black people feel comfortable to be around each other like that that was super important for a lot of people. Um, and it was important for me, you know, as I, as I went into my junior and senior year, for sure. Uh, and so I think I, I come from it from a different, from a different angle for sure. But I'd say like all of the people who, all of the black people who I know, uh, who graduated in my class, who, who went to school with us, um, I didn't really get the sense that I didn't get the sense that they were trying to shy away from the black community. What I got, I got the sense that they, they actually wanted more um, because you're in a space where quite frankly, like you're surrounded by mostly white people um, and it's tough and it's hard. And half the time you feel like you don't even belong. Uh, and so, you know, I think those communities are very important regardless of whether you went to an HBCU or, or an Ivy league or a state school or another private school out there. I just think like finding those spaces where you feel comfortable, um, 
and especially like as a black person, like being able to surround yourself with other black people, just uh, like I would always encourage finding those communities. But yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't go into college seeking that out. It kind of found me and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Gotcha. Which, which brings us to back to brother box, right? So why was it so important for you to specifically look to uh, uplift and, and, and aim did your product and your brand around um, black boys uh, specifically? Yeah. Because it could have been easy because you know the game. You would depend. It could have been easy to say, okay, I want to make this um, for all young men and all this other thing. But why did you specifically do that? And I'm going somewhere with it, but right. I just want to hear from your, from your take, man. Um, why was it so important to keep it that linear? Yeah, no, for sure. I think, you know, this is a question that we, a question that we get from, from people a lot is why not all boys? Like, why is it just black boys? Like, why is it, why does it have to be about race? And the, the, the answer to that question is black boys have a very unique life experience when you're living in this country. Um, just as, you know, Hispanic boys and, and mm -hmm. Asian boys. And we like that intersectionality is important. And so when I was creating this, it was specifically for this group of boys. I'm building a community for a group of boys who have a very unique and kind of like specific life experience. And that's not to say that they're the same across all of the, all of the black boys in the country, but there are some things that are very unique to black boys and black men that other people aren't affected by. Uh, and so it was important for me to tap into that because that like that's what that's what I feel the closest proximity to. Um, and so, yeah, that's why, you know, when I think about, you know, why why black boys or when people ask, like, why? Why is it only for black boys? Um, it's really because. You know, we've lived a very unique experience and I'm trying to tap into that community and that experience to help to help them level up um, and equal equal or level the playing field you know and so that's the that's kind of the way that i think about it um there's never been any kind of like malice or anything towards towards anybody else uh and i'm hoping that we can expand to black girls for sure because uh, i i feel like i really do feel like black women are the backbone <clears throat> of of the country and of progress and everything that we do uh this was really just you know this was what i knew um and this is what the, what I could resonate with the most and kind of like tap into from, from an experiential standpoint. And so this is what we're starting with. Um, and I do think it's important that black boys feel like yeah. they have something for themselves uh, because, you know, white boys have the same thing. Yeah, man. I, I respect that uh, 110%, man, for those uh, that ask why, 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 but you, you know, and it, it, it takes to be in a black male to know, from all aspects, uh, the stuff that we have to deal with on any front, you feel me? Like you probably mentioned, you probably lived through it at one point. Sometimes you're not black enough. Uh, sometimes you're too black. It's like, you can't <laughs> exactly. win. It's like, man, whoa. Exactly. Yeah, you're, you're straddling the middle. You're trying to figure that shit out. And you're like, what? Like, I don't like, who am I supposed to be in this moment? Like, it's so, it's so difficult. And so, yeah, like, you know, those are experiences that other people just don't have to go through. Um, and so that's what this community is about. It's really about, focusing in on them and making them feel special um, and making them feel loved. Uh, and I, I really do think there's enough love in the world to go around to all the boys. This just happens to be my focus right now. Yeah, man. On that note, I, I have, I got a couple more questions on brother boss, but it's, it's interesting since we're, we're in this spot right now. Question, man, what do you think is going to be 
is there anything that they can solve? Because right now, so let's think about even in the middle school, right? In middle school growing up, uh, there was, and I went to predominantly black middle school, shout out to Neil Middle School in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, it was the smart black kids. Uh, there was the, the, the black kids that was in gangs. Um, funny guys. It was, it was a lot of us, but right. But unfortunately, uh, smart black kids, uh, and when I say smart, I'm talking about book smart. So for all my people out there, I'm not saying that you have to be a straight A student and be a smart, but I'm saying in reference to school, um, it, it just, cats didn't really ride like that. It wasn't really a shared culture. It wasn't that. So how, what do you think in school system outside of course, the school systems just all buying brother boxes, right? That we can really, especially with our young black men, create community, not just when we're old, right? Because when we're older, we, the community usually goes around the person who got the resources, honestly. But mm -hmm. from a younger perspective that our brothers that may not be, they may not show up well on tests, but they may show up well in sports. They may show up well in this. What can be a, a to be able to further unite those? Because honestly, man, like, is is a disconnect even growing up, man? So, what are some things that that uh that that people our age or in general, um, things that we can consider as we look at the educational system, man, uh, and how that we can be more covered. So it's not like oh, you you get can around books, or you interested in technology or business, you lame. Or if I like this, or because you 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 probably felt some of that energy growing up, or saw it, not felt it, but saw it. But how can we all kind of get get along better, um? from that perspective. And, and I don't know, no, I hopefully, hopefully my question makes sense. Yeah, and definitely experienced it growing up being, I was the book smart black kid. Um, yeah. And other people were like the athletic black kids. And, you know, I got called, you know, nerdy and I talked too proper and, and all this <laughs> stuff, you know, you know, all of the, the usual quips uh, yeah. when you're when you're not exactly like everyone else. And so, you know, I think, I think it's important for the people who are working within the education mm. system. And so this isn't even about the students themselves, but if you're working in the education system, uh, which I, I know there aren't a lot of resources out there, um, but it's really trying to tap into and recognize what makes each individual student special, um, what they are gravitating towards. And if we can start to structure our education system around identifying those things early, uh, and helping students lean into those things that make them special, I think that's the that's the first step. And the thing that's the things that they're truly interested in. Uh, a lot of times we get pushed down these paths into very like standard, rigid kind of kind of structures. And quite frankly, like life is just a lot more flexible than that, you know. And so everyone isn't going to college. Um, everyone isn't going to be a star athlete. Like everyone, uh, you know, there are, there are so many options out there for what we can do with our lives. And I think we have to start structuring the education system around helping students recognize that. Um, and so I think that's the first step. And I think when students recognize that there are all of these options available to them, um, and we're trying to gear them towards the path that we feel like resonates with them and fits with them the most i think that then allows the students uh, who are in those communities to be more open and accepting of the differences and of um people who who want to take a route that isn't the norm or isn't um in line with the way that they're thinking about things we just have to we have to be a lot more open-minded about um about what's out there and what's available and i think that you know, I, I think there's a, a broader conversation here about just like representation as a whole. And I think 
when we're talking about the black community, you know, we have to see ourselves represented in all of these different outlets. Um, it, it can't just be primarily like entertainment, media, and and athletics like that. Those aren't the only paths for us, uh, even though that's where we see the the most black people um, when it comes to pop culture and, and stuff like that. And so, I really think we have to. It's a it's a broad layered approach, and we have to approach it from a number of angles. But I do think it's really really important um, if you're an educator, and and this is just coming from someone who was a student before mm-hmm. um, and who was in that. I don't I don't have a lot of uh, knowledge about what it takes to be an educator uh, and props to all of the teachers. Cause I know, I know how, I know that it must be super, super difficult, especially with the lack of resources, but the more we can really be individualistic um, with our teaching and with the resources that we're doling out and help kids to understand uh, all of the options and paths available to them. Um, and that that's not always going to be college. That's not always going to be athletics. Um, maybe it's trade school or, or who knows what. Um, I think that would be doing a great service to especially the, the black kids uh, in school. Yeah, you hit it on the head. I think you said something key, though. And this is for all the audience to resonate with. For those that are not in an educational space, I think sometimes we, we I think our generation uh, is, is winning on the representation part. Um, but I think if they could take a page out of your book is we're at this place now where I, I don't think representation is enough. Um, I think you representate, you represent, but then you activate and brother box is activating. Like you're representing. Okay. You represented just being a black person at, at UPenn, to be honest, you represented, you did, you, you done, you done your job. You went to, um, an Ivy league institution. You got a great institution, man. You made, you made us look good there, but then you activated and took a step further and said, not only with a full-time job, but I still have to do this for my people in my hometown starting and now it's growing and whatnot. But I, 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 it is a, it's not just enough to be in the room, but when you're in the room and you're not advocating for people of color, if you're not, if you're not looking out for us in there, then why the hell are you in the room? Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 I see a lot of cats like, I like you in the room now, but you letting them, you look at what's happening on, uh, um, let's, what that would happen with the bribery cases for college admissions, right? And mm-hmm. then you look at like behind the scenes, TPG, the people who are in front of TPG, uh, the consultant firm, one of the biggest conglomerates. This is what the main leader of that dude, a white male dude, was the same dude that was pushing um, conscious capitalism and all this stuff, right? So mm-hmm. you're pushing this, but on the back end, you're doing all this stuff. But I guarantee you, there's people in this room that look like us that saw this stuff kind of stuff going on, but didn't say anything. And it's like, we cannot just be in rooms anymore. We just cannot be venture capitalists. But when we are rubbing shoulders with all these people, let them talk bad about our people. Let them say anything else because, hey, you don't want to check this guy because he got a big bag. And if you say, hey, man, that's not right. Oh, now now all of a sudden you don't got 10 million for your fund. So you're just going to let it ride. And, yeah. and, and so we, we can't live like that. But on a positive note, let's jump into Brother Bus. So what? How did you decide and your team decide what's actually going to go into the Brother Box? I'm interested to know. Yeah. Uh, and so when I was building the first box, because um, I literally, this concept uh, kind of came to me uh, for, f- out of a number of ways. But when I was conceptualizing the first box, I, I kept trying to tie things back to like different like meanings. Right. And so, you know, putting a book in there because it's important to read every day. And like, if you look at the statistics, uh, kids who read and like throughout the summer, even when they're off, 
uh, off of school have a far greater advantage yep. when it comes to reading level and learning aptitude. And so just like considering how important it is to read. When I think about the pocket constitution, like being civically engaged and active and knowing what's going on, not even like, not even like from a, a global or a country level, but in your own community. Um, and in the back of that constitution is actually um, a know your rights uh, kind of like laundry list of, you know, things that you should be aware of if you ever get stopped by the police, which we know um, is, a, is a big possibility <laughs> yeah. when you're growing up as a black male. And so, uh, uh, you know, shout out to the ACLU for, um, for those, those pocket constitutions. And so, you know, everything in the box was trying to, to speak to something, you know, the headphones, just thinking about like losing yourself in music and how important, um, you know, keeping a steady beat is, uh, snacks to like, keep yourself like nutritiously, um, aware and, and, and fulfilled the hygiene products to make sure that like from a self-care perspective, like taking care of yourself, um, and making sure that you're in tune with your body, like outside and in, you know, all of these things, <clears throat> that's kind of like the way that I was thinking about the box, uh, as a whole, like everything in there has kind of like this larger meaning. We don't really explain that when we give kids the boxes, but that's kind of like where everything came from. And then it just so happened that it all worked together to form kind of like this complete package, uh, of really awesome things that hopefully, uh, are very useful. Yeah, man. I, I, I like it. And I think I, I jumped over, you mentioned it earlier, but what was the day that you decided to start it? Like what, what and, and how did, how did that even come to fruition? So you left Penn, um, you're working at Forbes, you leave Forbes, go to a different company, but when did it dawn that, yo, all right, let me just create a box that I get a kids. I know that it just come out of nowhere. Like what, what was the inspiration behind it, man? How to get started? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm sure a lot of us have this, um, this same kind of story where, Donald Trump gets elected and then we're <laughs> I was teaching then, high school at that time. It was wild coming back in. Bro. And you were probably like, how the hell do I go in this classroom <laughs> it was the weirdest thing ever. and teach when, you know, it seems like the world's falling apart at this point. So um, I remember the feeling that I had after that happened. And I think we were all kind of like in this moment where what are we going to do? We have to do something. We have to activate in some way. Um, and so that, you know, you started seeing the women's march and like all of these different, I've never, I, in my lifetime have never seen the country more politically active and engaged than during the, the first few months after Trump was elected. And so after that, uh, I kept kind of like, it kept coming back to, okay, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to make a difference? I, you know, personally, I, I don't do a whole lot of the marching. I don't do like, we all have to find the ways that we can activate ourselves. And it's not, you know, if you don't go and participate in marches, that doesn't mean that you're not, you're not active. Like you have to find the way to be active that resonates with the way that, you know, you feel comfortable. Um, and sometimes, you know, being uncomfortable is important, but I, I just remember, you know, I'm not going to do that, but I am going to find a way to get back. And so then um, February of 2018, um, one of my old high school teachers uh, from Bay Manette reached out to me and said that they were doing a Black History Month kind of like month long feature of different people who had come from the community or who were still in the community who um, had gone on to just like exceed, um, be successful or who were doing great things in the community. And I, she asked me if I would like to be featured as one of those people. And that was kind of like the clicking moment where it was like, okay, I haven't I haven't gone back and done anything for Baymanette. Mm. Um, and that's really, I felt an obligation after, after that point. And it's always so funny, like what triggers certain things, right? Like you, you, you never know 
where ideas are going to come from or how they're going to how they're going to manifest themselves but it was that moment where she asked me to do that and I was featured that I said okay I'm I'm going to put something together that'll be really simple and easy to give back to my to my to the kids in my community um and I think I think what's important here is like I think we all suffer from paralysis like we all mm-hmm. suffer from wanting to do something or wanting to take that step, but not exactly knowing how to do it or not feeling the confidence to do it. Um, the security, like insecurity is real. And so I, I think just like if you're, if you're trying to take that first step, but can't seem to do it, I, I know this is like, you know, such a common thing to say, but just like, just do it. Just, <laughs> just take the step. And if you need to like bounce it off of some friends, like don't be afraid to share your ideas um because it's after that we move past that paralysis i think uh that that we can just start like moving in a direction and then you know a year later here we are we've raised more than fifteen thousand dollars um we've touched more than 500 lives uh, and we have a roadmap for how to how to execute this thing um and so yeah i mean that's that's kind of like where where everything came from and how things came about uh and i know this is another piece like so often you know i remember after trump got elected it was just like god so defeating like like how are we how are we going backwards um and the the weight of that just being like so heavy to carry around um even when you're you know there's so there are so many people out there who are going to be more affected by different policies than i am but just carrying the weight of that around and not knowing what to do with it or how to shake it off um you don't have to change the world in a day uh, and you don't have to have the most like world changing idea to make a difference in like one person's life. Uh, and using that as kind of like the, the mantra to, to just like push brother box forward and say, you know what, I, I don't have the solutions to fix the healthcare crisis and the immigration crisis and, and what have you, I know how to do what I can do, which is put some stuff in this box <laughs> and get my friends and get my friends to donate and go hand these out to kids uh, who who will appreciate them. And so that's, you know, that's the step I think we all have to take is just realizing that it, it actually is quite easy to make a difference in one person's life. And if you can do that in one person, you can do it in two uh, and four and eight, and then it just grows from there and people get on board and they get excited about what you're doing. Um, yeah. So that that's how things kind of progressed. Man, that's that's very encouraging and inspiring for those that it just takes with one person, man. It, it is quite easy to make a difference in one person's life. And it's kind of it's easy to escape action when you think so big. Like, well, oh, I need yeah, to change exactly. a million lives. Then you could get stuck in analysis paralysis because right. you're trying you're to. Like, how do I do that? I'm like, there's no way that you're gonna. There's no way that you're gonna go from sitting on your couch to changing a million lives. That's just not. That's not how it happens. Like, even look at uh, Facebook. It, remember, like when I, I remember in high school, where were you at when you first got on Facebook, bro? Oh, that's a good question. I, I it must have been high school because uh, I remember my, my space was like. Yep earlier times and that was like the hot thing that everybody was on and then we all migrated to facebook uh, i think that was high school for me uh, but like the younger maybe the younger years of high school and that really yeah sure. i got it was junior year of high school and i had to i had to get invited and it was a small community right and it started with remember facebook started with just a couple folk at harvard right and then they kept right. adding and adding and adding facebook did not just start launch it had a million people if he would just and it didn't even start with a goal of a million folk it started internally like a little communication thing and then blew up so 
it, I just laugh. I don't, I mean, not laugh at people, but it just, it, it, it breaks my heart when I see people, when they start, the ideas are already superstar level. I love it. Your goals, your vision, superstar level. But let's think about, all right, let me, let me control my city, man. Let me, let me control my household, like my state, like my block. Like, let me, let me sell my lemonades uh, on this, on my corner first, before I said, I want to go all in every storefront. I mean, um, yeah. because then when you get to the storefront, I mean, I, I can go actually, let me not go left real quick. Um, also too, man, how much is the, uh, how, how, so say if somebody wanted to support, um, a, a bird box or donate one, like how, how does that process work? Yeah. So, I mean, you just go to the, the website, brotherbox.org. Um, it's very easy to donate a box. And so we structured it in a very like, you know, in, like easy way so that you could just attach, you know, a box is it's $30. Um, some of that money goes to you know creating the box and putting the stuff in the box, and the the other piece of that money actually goes into to programming and kind of building out this ecosystem and this community that we're trying to create. And so you know if you're interested in supporting, um, you can go to brotherbox.org and donate. You can also you know reach out to me and just like let me know. Like we have ambassadors in different cities uh, who. Um, you know, Alante uh, and Justin Malone actually were our first ambassadors. So shout out to them. Um, but, you know, they brought Brother Box to DC and Memphis um, and, and they started raising money on behalf of Brother Box and they were actually like able to give Brother Boxes away uh, to, to their communities. And so, you know, there's so many ways that you can get involved and, and be a part of what we're, what we're building here. And so, you know, even if it's not donating, if it's just sharing it, you know, on Facebook or Twitter, if it's trying to to bring brother boxes to your hometown, um, we're we're in growth mode right now, and so there's so many ways to get involved. Uh, feel free to you know hit me up. Uh, it's Taylor at brotherbox.org, and and we can make stuff happen for sure. Yeah. So my note of trouble is a nation. I'm gonna have all the information on the show notes. I'm also gonna have a challenge. I need at least I will put the challenge when I when I issue out the episode and do the re we'll do the release, but. Um, I got a set number of boxes that I know my Notre Trouble is a nation. People need to support and get behind it, man. I believe in the mission, believe in the values. And honestly, I'm excited about what's, what's to come because I know um, we're going to probably, and I actually want to just get jumping in right now, man. But what you can say as far as the future of it, uh, what do you future see this turning into, man? Yeah, so, um, you know, in year two, we're going to start to shoot videos uh, and so we're going to identify really awesome like black uh, men in, in roles throughout different industries. Uh, and we're going to highlight them and tell their story about how they got to where they are. Some, something quite similar to what you're doing with the podcast, right? Which is just like telling these stories of, of minority trailblazers. But uh, we're going to have those in little like video clip form and, and kind of grow the media side of Brother Box. And as people are seeing those videos, you know, we're getting them in front of the kids uh, so that they can see, you know, different possibilities and outcomes for their life, but also getting them in front of potential donors and it just kind of like loops back into the site. And then so so that's phase two. And then phase three is growing out the like the live, the, the live kind of like enactment of Brother Box. And so how does Brother Box activate within each community? Uh, can we grow like mentorship programs throughout each community? Can we do events um, and different things? And so, you know, ultimately when I look at uh, like Black Girls Rock, for example, um, they have that amazing platform for for Black girls to see themselves um, and Black women who, who who support them and want to uplift the next generation. I really want Brother Box to be that for for Black boys. And so I'd say, you know, five, 10 years down the line, if we could host this Kind of amazing event with entertainers and black 
you know, game changers throughout tons of industries and just have a ton of black boys there to see that magic and kind of like live that black boy joy. Uh, that would be the dream for sure. Yep. 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 So, uh, I'm excited to see where it goes before we enter a uh, rapid fire round. I just got one, one question while I, uh, before we enter our fast change and we wrap it up, man. Uh, I know we mentioned, we talked before the call, man, that you're 26 years old and you're married too, man. So, uh, quick thing, man, how, how long have you been married, man? And what's the keys to getting married? <laughs> Yo, boy, that's, that's I, I always tip my hat, man, to, to, and I, maybe I see a correlation, man, but it's like my, my brother that my brother, Quentin Harris, shout out to Quentin Harris from MIT, uh, Dorian, Dorian Dargon, MIT. Um, a lot of brothers I know that they be going to these uh, up north schools, man. They get they they get married early, man. I see my HBCU brothers. I, I, I'm not no, my engineering brothers. They be getting married early, but I'm talking about my hey. I, I told I said when I raise my uh, if I ever have a daughter, man, she ain't gonna marry nobody in marketing and sales. I can't I can't trust them. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, man. First and foremost, man, shout out to you, man. I know I, I know it's weird getting a shout out to being married, but I always just find it exemplary to see um, specifically our young black men. Um, getting married early, but man, if I just wanted to ask, this, this had nothing to do with the podcast, man. But uh, what what was, no, what was in your decision in the model to 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 make that type of commitment um, <laughs> that, that that early in your life, man? It's it's great because even though you know back in the day it wasn't this this is late, but in this century when people talk about oh I ain't having kids till I'm 35 and I'm doing all this other stuff, man, like you you place roots uh rather early. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely. It definitely feels early. Uh, I'd say I'm probably like the first one out of people in my in my college friend group to get married. Uh, if anyone knows me, they know that I I love my wife to death, um, and I will do anything to support her um, and encourage her and uplift her. And she uh, will do the same, if not more, for me. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'm not going to get too in depth into our relationship yeah. and how things unfolded, but. Um, I say the the moment when you kind of realize that you have a partner uh, who will who will go to bat for you in ways unimaginable, like in ways that you can't even think of right now. Um, but you know, down the road, she's going to be there for you. She or he is going to be there for you. Um, it, you know, I, I think that that's when you kind of know, like, like why why am I wasting time? <laughs> like, if I have the opportunity to spend as much time with this person as possible for the rest of my life, like. I don't need to wait until I'm 30 or 35 or, or 40. Like I can, I can do all the things that I want to do and accomplish all the things that I want to accomplish. Um, and I'm better for them because she's by my side uh, and, and she's doing her own things. Right. And I'm, I'm doing the same for her. And so having that equitable partnership um, and just like playing off of each other, uh, she's, you know, my number one fan. I'm her number one fan. She's my biggest supporter. She, she's the one who's here helping me put boxes together into the wee hours of the night. Right. Like, like I can't say enough about just like the support system that she provides, um, the love and encouragement. Um, and I don't know why anyone wouldn't, I, I would never, it's not an age thing, right? Like if you have that, like, I don't like, and I, I don't know why you wouldn't want that. Um, and so to me, it was never like, Oh, I'm too young or, <laughs> Uh, I don't know what the, like, can I do all the things I want to do if I, if I quote unquote, like settle down now, um, you know, neither one of us feels like we've settled down at all. Um, and we know that we have so much life to live and so many things that we both want to get done. Um, and I think 
you know, we both re- realize that we make each other better and, and I don't know what, what more you could want. And so shout out to Nina. I love her. Um, she's the, she's the love of my life. For Man, sure. that, that sound bite is a phenomenal PSA segment to <laughs> I say that seriously, man. Like I wish my young, I wish I would have held heard that five years ago. You feel me? There's nothing. And of course I know all my brothers that have been married for a while. Like he's been only probably been married for a year and a half. Just wait, just wait. He won't be, but like, Hey, <laughs> nah, bro, don't, don't keep that energy over there. Right? Like keep that energy <laughs> over there. Cause I already know like, Oh, that brother. Nah, nah, nah. Keep the energy over there, man. Because I think we need to hear more of that in the culture. You feel me? We hear a lot of, messages about nah man you got like i i love hearing messages like this because i guarantee you're not the only one that has the sentiment as young you're not so we yeah. need to hear just as much uh advice from the old school brothers like yo man you need to blah 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 blah. we need to hear just as much advice from the other the other end of the spectrum that's like nah man I, i'm loving every single moment why would i not <laughs> exactly yeah and like like we said like everybody's on their own timeline yep. and do what makes sense do what makes sense for you but uh, for me, it was, you know, the timing, everything was just perfect. Uh, and I, I cannot complain one bit, um, about, about my time with her. Yeah, so. I know my girlfriend's going to be listening to this episode, smiling ear to ear, man. I know, I already know it is. <laughs> you just set me. She's like, when you pull yeah, out the ring. Man, you, the, you, the, you, you the open it all the, bro- see, see, uh, see, yeah, I, everybody's <laughs> like, me now. they're like, God, they're like, this guy, get him off, get him off. <laughs> but, uh. Hey, um, this is a great question, man. I, I I wanted to ask, what was what has been your proudest moment thus far with Brother Box, man? And, and if you can point to a story or a situation that really is like, yo, this is why I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back to speak uh, recently, actually, at my high school uh, for the Black History Program. Uh, I was a keynote speaker, and afterward, I got a chance to sit down with about forty. Uh, 40 kids uh, in the library and just talk to them about different challenges and things that they were going through and ways that they were feeling about life. And um, I gave them all a brother box before I left and leaving uh, and getting messages from teachers, uh, some of my old teachers uh, about how much I had impacted them um, was probably the most special moment to date and like literally like photos the next day of the kids wearing the ties and the socks um that are in the boxes and there's just like there's no better feeling than being able to go back to where things started for you and seeing the impact and the difference that you can make uh you know that was that was probably like the the most special moment to date Mm -hmm. man and what has been the most challenging moment that you've overcame working with mother box to date that you're willing to share yeah, uh, that's a good question. I think, you know, I think we're still really trying to figure out not only like the distribution of the boxes and the best ways to get them into the kids' hands, but just that this fundraising piece actually is is really hard. It's not easy to raise money. Um, uh, and I'm kind of like tapping out my own networks, right? Yeah. And so ex- that, that kind of expansion and getting ambassadors on board who want to bring Brother Box to their city and bring their networks into the fold um, has been the most challenging part to date. But we, we're we definitely figuring it out. We have some plans that we're going to start putting into play uh, in year two that we think will make that easier. Um, so if anybody if anybody out there hears this and it's resonating with them and they want to, to help us raise some money, I you know that's definitely a challenge that we have. Uh, and that's the only way that we're going to keep growing. And so 
uh, we're just working through some of those those things right now. I will also, you know, use this moment to say, starting this and having having a select group of people who I know that I can go to um, to ask questions uh, and to help kind of like guide my path has been super super extremely helpful. And so, you know, my parents, my brother, my wife, um, and also this little like group of friends who I've kind of like cultivated to say. You know, I want your input. I want your advice. Give me your takes and being able to just like hit them up whenever uh, they've been super supportive and so, so helpful um, and, and, and kind of like guiding the path for, for what we're building. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to add to that uh, before we do our rapid fire and hang up um, is I think one thing and it's, I know it's in the pipeline, but I, I definitely want this to hopefully be in the forefront is really building out that uh, the programming piece aspect of it, because. I know there's a lot of school districts that um, <clears throat> they may not act like they got no bread for it, but as you, you knock on enough doors, there's some like I, I can just imagine, say, for instance, like Hillside High School in Durham, where um, it's one of the few historic it's, it's, it's literally a historically black high school. Right. I taught there and seeing where a program where not only are you giving a brother box to the man, but you're coming in, um, you're coming in and actually showing people. Uh, kind of giving the context behind the brother box and, and, and creating some type of um, not even a mentorship program just yet. Cause I know that's in the pipeline, but even if it's a one-off experience where you're breaking down certain attributes of the box and how it relates to their life and how they can use it, et cetera. Um, I know that <clears throat> fundraising is huge, but having, and I don't know if that eventually is going to be a for-profit model for the site or you can roll it into that, but I definitely think that could be done sooner than later. And with that, there will be a lot of folks to be like, well, we don't have the budget for that, but you keep knocking on enough doors. There are some mm -hmm. that will, um, especially nonprofits out there. And, and, and your, your people have told you this, and I want to tell you this and tell everybody on this podcast, this is that the same amount of time you spend trying to get $100 is the same amount of time you spend trying to get 10 grand. I'm, I, I, I'm telling you. And that's one thing I wish somebody told me when I started because I, I focused so much on trying to get the, the the and there it's important the small thirty here hundred here which is important but then I realized that hold up I had this, it's it, it seems the same as that effort sometimes less to get more money and I'm like yeah. what in the world am I doing like I was trying I was grinding <laughs> like I'm I'm talking about, I was I remember when I first started speaking I was doing all this to get like hundred fifty dollar gigs and then now we in the day we're doing four four five grand for 30 minutes show and it's like oh it's like a one call and it's like we good i'm like what no they make want to go back like what what you 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 had to i had to get a background like, I, haven't, I haven't worked as hard for this like <laughs> make me work for it yeah no for yeah. sure uh we're gonna start doing some corporate outreach soon for sure and and making sure that we're allocating resources accordingly but no that's a that's a super great lesson because you're right the amount of time that you're putting into to either of them <laughs> is the same and one obviously has the bigger rewards oh <laughs> Because oh, at the end of the day, man, you want to have your time in the day. You love pitching people, all the stuff, but creating boxes and really building with the brothers and really spending time on intentionally building that community. As you've seen with Forbes, yeah. how they've been able to build community and build summits, et cetera. Like, that's what your time want to be spent. And it's like, man, but I'm telling you, that programming market, man, is robust and it's working out there, man. It, it's working. So I definitely, I think by the end of this year, man, all it takes is one deal. Hey, I got uh, uh I got a hundred students. Boom! I got y'all got a hundred brother boxes, and I'm gonna add in boom, add in a whole experience, and maybe even a if it's local, um, I'm gonna come in every week and do this four part blah blah blah, 
And now that's four, five grand right there for a whole month of exercises. And now we, we didn't got our, our goal right there. You feel me? So, um, that's just throwing out there. I know that's already in the pipeline, but I just want to affirm that and see you playing seeds because uh, I see where that can go, man. But, uh, let's jump in to our last round. I call it the most exciting round, the culture change round where I ask a series of five rapid fire questions and hopefully I get five rapid fire answers, man. You ready, man? I'm nervous, <laughs> but yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> nah, it's simple, man. What's the best piece of advice that you have never received? Uh, you wanted some rapid fire answers and I got no, you're good. You know how I added this um, thing. <laughs> it's gonna sound crispy clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, ask me, ask me again. No, 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 you good, you good. Just keep just keep thinking. Like I edit it. You'll you'll be uh -huh. fine, man. Cool, cool. Um, best piece of advice that I've never received. I say lead, follow. Well, here, I'm gonna say this. Lead, follow, or get the hell out the way. Woo! Oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. I like that. What's the energy behind that? Because I it's a spice on the end of that, boy. It's a spice with that. What's the spice behind that, man? Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, I can't. I can't. Sorry, I can't use that one because I actually have heard that before. My my basketball coach used now, to say Rod, that. Now, Rod, you can you can say hey, but I heard it before. But I got to mention you. You cool? Just play it because I, yeah. I like that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually I've heard that before. Uh, my <laughs> my basketball coach from high school used to tell us that all the time. And he was like, if you're not gonna get in front and you're not gonna get behind the person in front, like you just gotta move. Like get off the <laughs> get off the wagon. Um, and it's something that I I still hold dear. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I. I love that you can man that's that's a whole that's a keynote right there to be real bro keep, keep that seriously that's a keynote that's the brother boss keynote you bring me and are you gonna go oh i love it i love it i love it man i'm gonna have to take that i'm gonna get make sure i cc you want that in your basketball coach man uh, that, that that'll <laughs> preach right there man uh if you can add one habit and take away one habit what would it be uh definitely sleeping earlier I think is like super important and I wish I could do that more and like just get more sleep at night. Uh, biting my fingernails, terrible habit um, that I haven't been able to shake since I was little. Uh, what is your favorite book and why? Uh, the Five People You Meet in Heaven by Mitch Album. Oh, wow. Um, I've heard of that book. This amazing. is new. Whoa, whoa. What is that um, about? What? <laughs> Uh, Mitch Album is an amazing author. Uh, if you haven't had the chance to read any of his books, I'd suggest first reading Tuesdays with Maury. But the five people you meet at he in heaven, uh, this guy dies. Uh, so at the beginning of the book, he dies. And then uh, the premise is you, when you go to heaven, you meet five people who you have had an impact on in your life. Um, and some of that is bad impact. Some of that's good impact. And some of it you don't even know you don't even know the person who you impacted, but you get to hear more of their story. Um, and it's just a, it's a, an amazing book about the ways that we affect each other um, without even realizing it. Wow. Yeah, I got to get that book. I'm out. I'm on. I, right <laughs> top, I was on Amazon right now. It's such a good book. Such a good book. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's yeah. 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 Definitely. I'm going to add that in the show notes uh next uh last oh look goodness gracious he didn't throw me all off now i got excited that, that book just sounds so deep man goodness gracious boy make you want to rethink everything yo uh what is your biggest fear my biggest fear is not accomplishing the things that i want or in a, in a better way to say that is not feeling like i've lived up to my potential um 
that that shakes me uh in the middle of the night when you're like am i am i doing enough am i am i far enough along like am i am i where i need to be or am i wasting my time um those are the things that the questions that keep me up at night it's all to do with am i on the, the path to to being as successful as i can be and fulfilling my p- potential um yeah that uh, that scares me a lot and if you were the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do? One day, one day, <laughs> color her 2040. Just, uh, just watch out. The first thing that I would do, <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I would probably take my, well, yeah, I'd, <laughs> I'd probably take my wife on a trip around the world, to be oh, honest. Oh, man, what? <laughs> you gonna run a- <laughs> no, no, no. So that's that's when I get elected. Um, the first thing I would do when I actually uh, get into office um, is work really hard on voting rights um, and and voter suppression uh, and making sure that everyone feels like they have a voice and the right to vote. Uh, getting everyone signed up to vote very easily, um, automatically. Even uh, I just think using that's the one piece of currency that we have in democracy is our is our vote. Uh, and that's kind of like our voice, right? And I think the more people who we bring into that system, uh, the better. Mm, love it. And then the last question, actually the coach change round is done. So great job on that. Everybody that comes on my podcast, I'll call a culture change agent because I call myself that and everybody that's listening and specifically every single person on this podcast is changing the culture in their own specific way. So if you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African-American culture, what would it be and why? Yeah, I just, I change this, this concept and this notion of like what it means to be black. Um, I think there's a lot of heavy expectations around that uh, and a lot of like heavy obligations around that. Um, and I would really just like open it like wide open, wide open and say, you know, what it means to be black really just comes down to this very basic level of, of being yourself uh, in all forms and feeling comfortable in that, um, in, a, in a world that tells you that that's not okay uh, or that that's not acceptable uh, or that, that, that puts you down um, for the color of your skin. And so, I don't think we need more of that in the in the black community um, of kind of like making comparisons and saying you're not black enough or you're too black or stuff like that. And so that's that's the one thing that I feel like I would focus on a little bit more. Mm. Love that, man. Love that. Love that. Love that. So Minority Trailblazer Nation, make sure as we end this. Ah, dang, boy, I almost forgot. Yo, where can we find more information about you, uh, Brother Box online, all the stuff, man? Share us all your info. Yeah, so uh, you can follow me at T underscore Cully, C-U-L-L-Y on Instagram. Uh, You can follow Brother Box on Instagram at uh, Brother Box Org. Like us on Facebook. um, And then obviously go to the site, brotherbox.org, to make a donation, uh, to contact me. um, You know, uh, any way you want to get involved, just let me know. Uh, We would love to have you. Um, And, you know, Greg, thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of your show. Uh, You're doing some really awesome stuff. Hey, no doubt, no doubt. And make sure I definitely, uh, once I get everything set up, is it T underscore C-U-L-L-I? L-L-Y. Boom. I was like, hold up, man. That's some some weird lady in Germany. Uh, (laughs) 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 I got you, man. I got you. So, Minority Trailblazer Nation, man, 
Um, make sure y'all show the boys some love. I already know Minority Trouble is a nation. We definitely gonna cop our brother box. We're gonna cop one today, man. We're gonna cop a brother box today. Uh just to show love and support, man. Continue doing what you're doing, man. I'll let you know when this episode airs. I'm gonna cut this part, but I'm gonna let you know when the episode airs and stuff. Uh, no, a week, at least a week before. Um, and okay. and promoting all that good stuff, man. But Minority Trouble is a nation, man. Make sure when the show drops, man, y'all show the man some love, man. Thank you, and I want to personally thank you from the bottom of my heart, man, for giving us over an hour of your time, man. Um, I appreciate it, Taylor. Thank you. Thank you so and much. And TB Nation, man, y'all already know I need y'all to do two things and two things only. One, make sure you subscribe, leave a comment, do all that stuff, share it with a friend, and number two, most importantly, change the freaking culture. Good night.